There's still a few pigeons in here. Yep. This room is, a, I suppose, if you're talking about connection to our national history, is the most important room. People were brought here and they, the leaders would have been selected out. So there would have been British military personnel and uh, detectives pointing out who was who. The later court martials also took place here. Chicken, there is a... Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel it, yeah. So this is, where, this is where they were held and these conditions, I imagine, were appalling. If people could be convinced that they'd only heard a part of the story, like this is the, we call it the penultimate chapter. In terms of the 1916 events, there was the GPO and then obviously they were taken from their outposts to Richmond Barracks. So that's chapter two, if you like. And chapter three was, was Kilmainham Jail but nobody knows about Richmond Barracks and that piece. And that's, in a way, uh, I think it's to do with what it became and its history and its location, that nobody came in here and, you know... I'm with Aidy McCleary, Executive Chair of Richmond Barracks, and we're standing in a large cavernous room known as the gym. And it was here that 3,000 people, 77 of them women, who had taken part in the Easter Rising were held and sorted and where the death sentence of the leaders was pronounced. This is a lost chapter of our national heritage. The gym was part of Richmond Barracks, a British military barracks which dates back to the 1800s. So we have a model. Do you want to see the model? Oh, yes, please. That's it in its full glory and you can see the walls of the barracks. So that's the church in Emmet Road that you pass by. It's massive. Massive. What's the acreage or the footage? Ten acres of this. This is 1814 this was built in. But it's like Collins's barracks. It's like, like all of the barracks around Dublin, really, with the squares, these, you know, parade grounds. It was a very, very significant army barracks. I think nearly every regiment who came from England over here um, was filtered through Richmond Barracks. So the three low buildings, which were all recreation rooms for the uh, soldiers... They, they obviously still remain. Everything else is gone. This row of brick and cut stone buildings is all that is left of Richmond Barracks. The 10-acre site became Kew Square and then St Michael's Estate. This site is located in Inchicore, between the Grand Canal and the Luce on one side and Emmet Road on the other. Inchicore is an area of Dublin steeped in history. This history is known and valued locally especially by groups like Kilmainham Inchicore Heritage Group and St Michael's Regeneration Board. Local champions who have worked to develop this area and to get national recognition for the heritage that it holds. One of their proposals is called Lost Chapter, a proposal to restore Richmond Barracks and honour the heritage that is held within. Lee Murmara, poet and historian, is one of those local people I met Liam outside of Richmond Barracks. Well, I could never cross uh, this patch here without, um, you know, in my mind, uh, imagining the the, the shouts of the the sergeant majors and and the troops marching and and all this, you know, and the sense of of, of history. And then the more I I got to know the history of the area and uh, the significance of, of the gymnasium, and the court marshals and everything, I just became fascinated with the whole thing. 
Well, you know that uh, I wrote a book there last year on the history of from Richmond Barracks right through the Kell Square era, right up to date. And when I began writing that book, I thought it was going to be two stories. I thought it was going to be a, so- a story of soldiers in barracks and then about uh, women and children struggling to make ends meet in, in Kell Square. And I very quickly realised that it was one continuous story that spans almost, you know, 150 to 200 years. And uh, this is the time to, to tell it, I think. What happened was that the, the barracks were built back in 1810 and uh, the Duke of Richmond's time and were opened in 1814. When the barracks were vacated by the, by the British troops in 1922, um, most of the barracks were, were converted into housing. But these three buildings, they didn't lend themselves to being converted very easily into, into housing units because they were much too large. The other buildings were formerly soldiers' quarters, so the conversion there was very, very simple. These three buildings were, were left out of the plan and they were later sold to the Christian Brothers. This is beautiful. This is actually the ashes was filmed in here, bits of it. But uh, it's like a little museum to a school of its own, I think. This is amazing. Isn't it? So this is... Yeah, the beautiful parquet floor. Yeah. The remaining buildings include this schoolroom. And it is exactly as it was when the last students left. The old desk still there. The parquet floor crumbling underfoot. Another layer of the history of Richmond Barracks which is so embedded in the local community. After 24, when there was no need for the barracks to be here, I was at that time under, um, in, in the hands of the, the Irish Army. It had changed name. It was, became known as, as Kill Barracks after Commandant Tom Kill, who was killed in the Civil War. These barracks were given over for emergency housing. And then it was given to Dublin Corporation and it was converted into one of the biggest slums in Dublin, Kill Square. Kill Square was a very, very famous uh, first sort of public housing, really, in Dublin. And uh, the, the word is that when you couldn't afford your rent in other parts of Dublin, you were sent to Kill Square. So in, in essence, you, they've created something that couldn't sustain itself, you know. Um, the Kell Square was behind where we're sitting where there's a, a green area today a green field that was the, the main part of the square which was formerly a soldier's parade ground and um, on all sides of this were the buildings of the, of the square the Marty Quarters the other buildings that, that used to be for the private soldiers accommodation Good for most of the history of Kell Square the community here were, were good decent people and uh, you know it was only in the, in the latter stage that when the building started to deteriorate, that place got a bad name, you know. And um, it remained there till 1969, when uh, it had to be pulled down. It was in such a, a bad way, you know. And then Michael's Estate was built, and pretty similar story to Michael's Estate. There were beautiful apartments when they were built first, you know. And these three buildings that remain today from the CBS school, uh, formerly the recreation rooms and the gymnasium, and that's, the, the, as I say, the irony that they managed to hold on to the most significant building where the, where the court martials took place, you know. A group was formed under the banner of Richmond Barracks, which was made up of people from very diverse backgrounds. Politicians, local historians, local organisations, Sinn Féin and the British Fusiliers. 
and they all came together to work and lobby to secure funding to restore these buildings. Their proposal was called Lost Chapters. We put it in in 2012 and looked for funding and uh, nobody would give us funding, they weren't interested. Tourism Ireland came out here and said nobody would come here. And so we just kept lobbying and lobbying and we put some historians around a table to validate the history and um, they came out uh, and we got the politicians out and nothing, nothing and then we invited, uh, spotted on the internet that the British ambassador is very interested in military history because this is, was one of the most significant British military barracks. It's like it's huge, you see how big it is. Remarkable so anyway. that the history of this building is as important to British military history as well as to Irish nationalism. And this collective lobbying and in light of the centenary commemoration is what secured the funding and support from Dublin City Council to deliver this Dublin City Council community partnership that was to restore and commemorate the heritage of Richmond Barracks. We got 3.5 million. Brilliant. Yeah. That's just probably not a lot. No, no, but it's something. Jesus, <laughs> we had nothing. Yeah, no, it's not a lot. The Richmond Barracks project is in part the restoration of these historically significant buildings. A fantastic design team coming in to do it. They were just appointed the other day. So we're on the go, really. Uh, put in planning permission for um, complete landscaping. Uh, for um, the, the cupola is going to be reinstated, which is just beautiful. Uh, What's the cupola? The lantern that went on top of the gymnasium. I think it was for ventilation and light for the gymnasium. But it just really lifts the buildings. So the change of use is that the gymnasium is going to be exhibition and event space and um, there's going to be archive space and there's going to be community offices and so on. And the other thing we're working on, which is also to link the barracks into the graveyard in um, Golden Bridge, which is the oldest Catholic graveyard in the country. So it's, it's older than Glasnevin. It was bought by Daniel O'Connell. It's to try and open up that graveyard again. It's been closed for for years um, W.T. Cosgrave is buried there and uh, it's a very significant historical location. So the project can... tells not just the story of the building but the story of the community. This story unfolds as I follow the process of the Richmond Barracks restoration. Yes, these three buildings are left and they're like envelopes of the history of the whole place but in another way the project isn't only interested in the kind of the people who died for Ireland, also the people who lived for Ireland and lived there. So we're going to look at military history, but also the social history, which is fascinating. Richmond Barracks design team consists of Blackwood Associates with Margaret Quinlan, Builders Personal Construction, Landscape Architects Mitchell and Associates and Mortello Media. Both Margaret Quinlan and Kevin Blackwood are conservation grade one architects. I suppose the, the, the way in which we would look at a historic building or buildings such as these are is that they are historical documents. And if you know the history of their, the building, you know the history of the time in which they were created and lived and were altered. So that you have the whole lot up to the present day, okay. which, is, which is really rich layering of... And the interpretive design, we hope, will bring out the layers of history. On the 7th of November 2015, they held a day to remember in St Michael's Community Centre. The public were asked to bring artefacts and family memorabilia connected to Richmond Barracks, St Michael's Christian Brothers School and Kyo Square. 
Dublin City Library staff were there to digitise the documentation and the interpretive designer from Otello Media, Heather Dowling, was there to gather stories. It is definitely a living story. Some of it is quite difficult history. Even though there was a sense of community, it was tough living in the area. But we have to give a voice to the people that did grow up and experience that. So I think oral history and this digital people's archive that we're trying to create today um, will be huge for that. So we see ourselves as facilitators. So we have to be very respectful of, um, of people's stories and their heritage and, and the different things that happened in the area. Anything important that you would like recorded, either for your own memories of Richmond Barracks, for good or for, or for worse? Oh, it was there. Uh, it was part of my, my life, like I could never get away from it. And when I tell people that I lived in Kyo Square, they just say to me, I wouldn't tell people that. And I just say to them, why? I said, no sense in hiding it. I said, it was what we grew up in. The barrackers they used to call us. We had some good times and some bad times. You know? Like there was poor people and there was poor, poor people in it. We would have been poor. Then there was poorer again than us. Like, at least we got a dinner every day. The records of the pupils who attended the Christian Brothers School were also available for pupils to look through. So what are you looking up? I'm looking up. My name is Basil Doyle, or Basil O'Doyle. I stayed in the gym two years when I was in school and another year after it's kept us off the road I must say I enjoyed the gym okay I won't go any further I did not like the Christian brothers except one his name is Brother Coffee he didn't take out the strap he used his mouth to get into our brains to get us to learn that's all I have I could say a lot more for God's sake but, but I'll talk to you again the day was partly to introduce the people in the area to the plans. Anne-Marie Brennan is a local woman who's been shown those plans. A representation of tenements living in sort of the 30s. When, when, the, was when it was Kyo Square. Okay. Yeah, when it was Kyo Square. Would be Can I just say to that up until the 80s, even though we lived in St Michael's Estate, which was a different generation, yeah. right? um, the poverty that existed there yeah. also existed in the estate. So Kyo Square was just different bricks and mortar in a diff- in the same situation. This story is really about the people living and working in the area who have dedicated time and effort to improving the lives of those who live there. Rita Fagan has been working in St Michael's Estate for over 28 years as a community development worker. So there's a whole history, there's a history right back um, to when the barracks was here of poverty. Stories to be told about the tenements there's stories to be told about life from a working class aspect in the city. Another is Sister Jo Kennedy. Uh, we saw it, I think, as important history because we think history is very important, particularly working class history, because what it does is make visible what's invisible. Why does it matter that other people know the history of Kirk Square? Uh, first of all, because it's a part of Irish history. We've become quite disconnected from that history of poverty and colonialism and neglect. And therefore, it's going to actually increase because it's not been made visible. Why did you put colonialism in there? Um, Because I think what we know about colonialism is that it erases the subject themselves. 
it raises the persons, it raises the memory of the persons. So you had, if you're telling the story of, of Richmond Barracks Kill Square, you have a continuous story because a lot of the, the people uh, never moved from the area. They, they wanted to remain here. There was a great uh, community spirit that people just, unless you lived here, unless you, you know, were part of it, you wouldn't understand. It was a, a fantastic community spirit. My ma would have lived here. She was from the actual Kill Square Barracks. I mean, nanny, obviously, um, would have lived out there as well. My kids would be fifth generation then. Uh, in relation to where family being on this land. And what do you, I mean, that's some changes you've seen then. What do you remember? A lot of changes. The estate was a brilliant place to grow up in. It was a real community spirit though. Do you know, I mean, it didn't matter what part of the estate you were in, there was 10 blocks in total. Which could, we lived in the front of the estate, which is down adjacent to the main road. And then you could say the back of the estate. And if you say the H block, most people who would know into car would know what the H block is, which is adjacent to the canal. So that gives you your. your borderline so to speak the main road and then the canal and uh, there's no such thing as locking doors and like everyone was in the same boat there was no one richer than anyone else you wouldn't get flats like them anywhere the size of them really big um, like you'd have the whole flat you had flats like this where you'd have a sitting room come sit come kitchen right you had a long hall you had big spacious bedrooms um, uh, I grew up with central heating so you might not have that in else, but you are guaranteed to have central heating. Working class areas are often just summed up in terms of being poor or disadvantaged. Do we ever consider them as places we call home? Places where we work, play together, live together, wear families. Places with a strong sense of community. Uh, maybe what none of us do, myself included certainly when I came here to live, because I lived in Michael's estate, you see, for the first 20 years. So only now I'm living here when Michael's estate went. Um, I think that we don't recognise that within any area, no matter how poor, there are such pockets of resilience and such pockets of courage, particularly the women, you know. And I think that um, that was always there. And if you look at Michael's estate, for example, it had a fantastic tenants' group. They joined the first tenant strike around a uh, rent strike. So there was a strong group of people when uh, Michael's estate was first um, built. The community there was very strong. They had their own festivals. They had their own summer projects. So there was a great deal there. What happened then, of course, as you may you may not know, was that the government offered an incentive of £5,000 if you wanted to buy your first home. And some of them leaders took that because they could, because those who were working could. And, you know, people would say that the towers were streets in the sky and they wanted to come back to the land and the ground because they argued that Irish people are of the land and they wanted to go back and they wanted to live in uh, houses on the ground. So some of them went to Ballyfermot, some of them went to Talla. When they moved out, I think what happened then was that the community was depleted. But also policy was changing around lone parents, where before lone parents would have 
put our children into homes or into being adopted. Now, the, with the rise of the women's movement and the challenges to the state, lone parents were then allowed to have flats. They didn't get houses. And what period are we talking about here? We're talking about now the 1970s into the 80s. And so what began to happen was traditional families began to move out of St. Michael's Estate and now young lone parents were coming to live in the flats. So uh, there were different forms of families and some of them were very um, vulnerable young people. You know, they needed supports. That's where the Family Resource Centre grew out of, that there was people who needed supports in the community. Michael's Estate was very neglected by Dublin Corporation. It was allowed to run down. It wasn't taken in hand early enough. It was a certain kind of abandonment. Do you know what I mean? The money wasn't invested in them. And, uh, like, I believe, and I'm a long time on the ground, I believe that that was part of a policy of running down the area because I firmly believe uh, that the city has been looked at in where there are rich land. So Michael's estate is rich land. And I say rich land in in terms of we had poor people living on rich land in the city. So when the developers were uh, out there building, they had to look to the city as to where, uh, you know, what was good land. So here you're beside the Lewis Line, you're beside the Royal Hospital Command, you're beside Kilmainham Jail, you're on a bus journey into town, you have a village. So it's very, very rich land, say Michael's estate, 14 acres of land. It has a history, and that history is a negative history. And that's not fair to the people, the vast majority of people who were there. A lot of that was drug-related. Yeah, very, very. I couldn't tell you what it was like in the 80s. Really, really bad. Really bad. Then, as I said, the drugs kicked in, and it just became so bad. In particular, I particularly remember 1988 was very bad. Um. There was a certain person, individual in H block that was selling the school used to have two um gates at the time, you know. And um, one particular time he, he, he had a nickname I won't say but um he used to be like selling like there were tablets but there were whatever like you know what I mean and he used to be selling them at the, the school gates, you know, like sweets, you know. Got so bad I remember going into where the old family resource centre used to be, uh, block one, two, three. And I remember going in there one morning, and I'm not kidding when I say this, you could easily say there was a hundred junkies there easily. And, like, every morning I went in at nine o'clock, and they go, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking. Like, you think they'd cop on, I wasn't looking. I was going into open the resource centre, but consistently every morning it'd be, hey, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking. You know, hundred junkies there, and then up the stairs and everything, and... You'd be selling the wares and whatever, and you'd be going. And I was never touched not once. They could have easily overpowered me and took the keys and got into the resource centre. And uh, if I look back at it and say, like, a good few of the people I grew up with are now dead. There's a whole generation dead because of the drugs. So they weren't all from St Michael's Estate who was on drugs. You could guarantee that they were from Inchicore, they were from Bray, they were from Dunleary that used to come in onto the estate up the stairwells to either shoot up or take their methadone. The flats were then taken down, what happened? Eventually. Well, there was no one in them leading up to the to the actual knockdown. But it's very hard to leave the estate. You know, I remember the morning it was being knocked in, everyone said they were going to knock it that, that particular day. And someone came running onto the road and said, they're knocking the blocks. 
so everyone just ran out in pyjamas and all, which we don't normally do either now, I might add. So everyone ran out in pyjamas and all just to see them starting to knock the blocks like, you know what I mean? That was very sad, so you know, but it was an awful disgrace. They should have just revamped them. And anyone who ever lived in the towers, you know, all their lives, would say to you, yeah, yeah, here, yeah. you can have the house, give me back my flat. It was a better, better quality house? Oh. Yeah, and it was the community element as well. Which, there's none of Michael's left now. Um... People just didn't want to move away. And for some very reluctantly were, were pushed out to the suburbs to other areas. And there hasn't been anything in its place apart from Thornton Heights uh, over here to the, to, the, to the right of us here. Thornton Heights was about 16 years in gestation. And by the time that was built, I think there were only 11 families uh, remaining that were, that were, were moved over there, you know. The, the area was to be redeveloped under the McNamara plan, which fell through when McNamara got into difficulties. And we're still waiting for something to happen here on the site. The campaign has been long. They have seen plan after plan be knocked back. And they are one of Dublin's longest but not yet realised social housing regeneration projects. They were one of the first public-private partnerships proposed at the height of the Celtic Tiger to collapse. But then on the 19th of May, 2008, a letter went out onto St Michael's Estate at 12 in the day, just before the board meeting, to tell the tenants for the fourth time that the development had fallen through. So that really, that was shocking. Over 16 years of protest, but still not enough adequate housing or plans. And they continue to fight. What kind of keeps that fighting spirit? Uh, as I said, the, the, the ongoing social problems, uh, it's all you've got, you know, is, is each other, you know. They have developed a range of community support structures, such as the Family Resource Centre, St Michael's Youth Project, homework clubs, as well as working with arts organisations such as Common Ground. And there is an abundance of individuals who are dedicated to making a change. People such as Shay Hurley, who was principal of the Christian Brothers School from 1982 to 1986, during which time he set up a kayaking club for the local kids. Portridge was the art of pulling a kayak, if you like, from uh, the barrack down through the, the, um, the memorial gardens like, and into the Liffey there, you know, opposite Trinity. And we used to go down all the way to the city and in time they learned, they went down as far as Ring's End. And then we'd come out of the basin at Ring's End and we'd come up the canal all the way back to Inchicore, like, you know. It was a great experience. There was one young lad I remember I had, um, Bumpy was his name. He'd been on the fringes of the heroin and um, introduced him to us here anyway we did. And, Jesus, uh, Jesus, you know, the boys that get out of this is way better than the boys that get out of the gear. The gear being the heroin. Yeah. All of that happened, I think, because over the last 30 odd years, people have gradually got together who were had a common value. And I think that common value is community. A real belief in community. A community strong, who is so proud of their heritage. And I love the the whole element that we live in a community that is so historical to all making of this nation, you know? I mean, how many can say that they grew up right beside the barracks, the jail is only a stone's throw away, and the graveyard 
is literally over there. Like, not many could say that. You know, and it's been around your whole entire life. Like, I might know it. It doesn't necessarily mean my neighbour knows it. The significance of all these places beside us. So sometimes, without realising it, I would be saying the fourth Catholic graveyard in the country, the buildings, what the buildings mean. The local people do know and value their heritage. But its significance lies mostly unknown to those outside. Richmond Barracks holds the stories of the social and political history of the area, of Ireland. I could sense the weight of that history when I walked into the building in its abandoned state. So too could the architect Kevin Blackwood. It's it's a dramatic space, even in its current raw state. So you know that there's something big went on here, something important happened here. But um, the light touch, I think, is very important because it retains the significance, the significant and important bits of the building, and um, the interventions we make should be done in a way that is kind of secondary. With buildings. They have to be adapted as well because they have to be sustainable to the future. So you've got to find uses for buildings as well. There's no point restoring a building and then not having a use because they have to live on and that's, that's the essential part of conservation and the work we do. To, to let them live in their own time now, in the present time, without compromising their significance. Where does this mm. sense of, mm. of hope and future and drive and mm. push to, to, to move yeah. on? Mm. sit with something that's there in mm. stone mm. piece, very mm. beautiful, mm. but it's embedded in the past. How, mm. do you, how do you bring mm. one to the other? How mm. does that work? Mm. Well, do you not think that the people who were at Richmond Barracks and the people who will be commemorated, for example, the 77 women, that anyone who reads their history cannot help but be struck by their values? We're a continuous journey and I think one informs the other. And if we don't commemorate the values, the courage of these 77 women who were extraordinary because they put their lives on the line for our futures, that's the story. And that story is also part of the project. The story of the 77 women held in Richmond Barracks during 1916 which has also been a lost chapter in history. The book, We Were There, 77 Women of the Easter Rising, by Liz Gillis and Mary McAuliffe, deals with the lives of these women and their fight for equality. Because, of course, you can't understand your own life without understanding your history. And the history we're taught is the history of uh, the ruling classes and the political elite and all that sort of thing. Uh, And very few, if any women at all, appearing in it except for the you know exceptional women to see these ordinary young working class girls doing something is a very powerful thing and that legacy is going to be powerful um but the 77 who come here include both famous and unknown women and the famous women would be markovich of course and kathleen lynn and helena maloney uh, and the unknowns then young working class women in 1916 there seems to have been a moment where there was real class uh, cross-class unity uh, between middle-class and working-class women who had been working together. So you have this time where working-class and middle-class women are actually united in a common purpose or several common purposes for women's rights, workers' rights and nation rights. 
Another way that Richmond Barracks is remembering the 77 women is the commemoration quilt, which creates a link between the women of 1916 and women living in Ireland today. A celebration of women past and present who unite in a common purpose to bring about change. An open day was held in September 2015. Liz Gillis opens the day with an acknowledgement of the strength of the women in the room. Women around here, the work they do for the communities, um, you see that sense of civic conscience, that social justice, that, so, that sense of want to actually make a difference. It's still alive and well here today, so um, thanks for having us and I hope you enjoyed that. Anyway. what you think so far? I find it very encouraging, you know, because it's hard to keep believing you can bring about change today. <laughs> and yourself? I'm Deirdre. And I'm really in China. Yeah. It's our foundations, isn't it? Yeah. We're still struggling. Yeah. But in a different way. It was only when I joined the Family Resource Centre, I think it was 89 when I joined that, that I realised that I was coming back into education. You know, women's issues were being addressed and we were becoming politicised and, and we did as I always say, I never knew I was living in poverty until I joined the Family Resource Centre so I don't know whether I really want to thank them for that you know, in all the years that I've been part of it and, and the other girls, like we went on protests continuously you know, so we have that kind of spirit of banding together, I think The project is led by textile artist Maria Anquist who runs the yard school in Golden Bridge. The physical outcome is a quilt made up of panels, each one representing one woman held in Richmond Barracks in 1916, and each panel produced by a woman living in Ireland today, whose life is also reflected in the panel. So, uh, to me, every story I hear, I feel that some part of that woman is carrying on. Some part of what what she fought for, what she dreamt about, uh, what she believed in, is still alive. Uh, the 77 who are involved in the project today, I have been privileged to share in their stories. I met with Roisin Dunn, who produced one of the panels. My lady, Bridget Brady, who I'm so proud of. She was only 19 and she grew up in the tenements and she worked in Boland's Biscuits. She was very working class, a large family, lost her job, as far as I know, as a consequence of this. I think what she did at such a young age for us and to stand there in, in the face of all that adversity and say, well, I'm here because I believe in this so strongly. On Roisin's panel, she had chosen to use a text. It says, thank you for me and my daughter, because you've changed our world so much. When they did this, they were very downtrodden. They were women. They couldn't even vote, you know, and it's only 100 years ago. So that's why it's a thank you for my daughter, because her life is so different because of these women. And tell me the significance of the pink ribbon. It's a breast cancer ribbon because I'm battling breast cancer. My daughter is eight and I'm a single mom, so um, I'm very proud of her. But like that, I had to have this battle with breast cancer because she was four, five when I was diagnosed. So I have to win this battle for her. The book was launched and quilt unveiled on International Women's Day in the Irish Museum of Modern Art. Lord Mayor and friends, can I on behalf of Dublin City Council 
and the Richmond Barracks Project welcome you to this beautiful chapel on International Women's Day 2016. God save Ireland, God save God save God save but she helped some of the nurses with the wounded soldiers. So we felt that she seemed, she wasn't the, one of the key leaders of the, the, the rising women leaders, but we felt she was extraordinary for an ordinary woman. I'm humbled actually, humbled to be here and I hope my life makes the mark on society that those women's lives have made for us women who have come after them, you know? Well, yeah, there's very ordinary women. I'm involved in the regeneration of St Michael's Estate and there's very, it wouldn't have never happened on what we delivered. Not a huge amount, but a lot. Uh, but it was ordinary women that gave up their own free time to play active roles on committees that, who we then were able to support as workers to try and move the thing along get the, get the outcome that we got, you know. And we're still campaigning to try and get more uh, public housing. And I think the people, the women of the Pauline Markhams and the Kathleen Lynns and the Bridget Lyons Tartan and all the very ordinary women that don't sometimes get the recognition, they've inspired us as women and made us realise collectively and with the men of the time as well, collectively what can be achieved. As Eilish Comerford just said, it was the collective effort that has made the advances for St Michael's estate. And that is so equally true for Richmond Barracks. A collective effort of groups such as the heritage groups who have fought to restore Richmond Barracks so that they can tell the many stories held within. One member of the Heritage Group is Yosef O'Brien. As Mick Flanagan, another member, says, it was Yosef's tenacity that kept alive the fight to have the history of these buildings acknowledged. For Yosef, one vital part of that restoration was to reinstate the copula on top of the gym that will light up the night sky of Inchicore. Uphill, down, down, <laughs> cross rivers, mountains, and eventually we got it. <laughs> sense of pride when you start seeing it coming to the end, when you start seeing this. Oh yeah, oh definitely. It was. It went so through so many phases since since 1922. I think we're nearly there, Joseph. The white flag has been raised. The white flag. <laughs> There she goes. Hooray! <laughs> up, up. I think I'll hop off. We've seen this historic moment. <laughs> we put it there. A few of us put that there. We did. Not that we're boasting or anything like that, but we did. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard work. It is. And it's been hard work and it's been a lot of hard work to get that building just to be mm. restored, mm. to be recognised, mm. to be mm. restored. Mm. Um, and it's very beautiful. In one way, what I've been told in the beginning was it'll change the narrative of this place. We hope it will. We hope you, it will. How do you imagine that being? Well, I don't disconnect it, I think, from the graveyard. No matter how we look at it, having the graveyard and Richmond barracks opened will mainstream us, if I could call it that. Why are we not mainstreamed? We deserve to be mainstreamed like anyone else. Tell me what you mean by mainstreamed. 
that it says uh, people won't think 14 times before they come up this way. That they'll think coming up this way is the same as coming up anywhere else. That's how I, in a very ordinary way, that's how it is for me. This was a cold November morning. This woman rang me and she said, um, she said to me, where has she gone now? 52 places to go into the, in the world, right? Where would you say number 22 is? Go down to number 22, of course, is Dublin. But look at Dublin. So this is, oh, it's a stunning article. So this is worldwide, po- most popular uh, tourist destinations to go to. I go to number 22. And they say, beautiful shot of the... Look, at this in the concert hall, look amazing. Beautiful shot in the 22, Dublin, Ireland. A city spruces up to celebrate centenary. Look. Look. Listed number one. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Are we recording at the moment? We are. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that incredible? Look. That is brilliant. Isn't it? Congratulations. I know, but that's that's just serendipity. That's the early bird gets the worm now because she was just looking for somebody to help her out with Dublin. And I sent her stuff on Richmond Barracks. The building is near completion, almost ready for the opening on May the 2nd, 2016. I wanted to bring Basil, who I met at the day to remember, back to see where he had spent his childhood. These shared memories are part of what this whole project is about. Oh, yeah. I keep on saying I should have came here when it, when it was still going on to have one last look. And if I had it, I wouldn't have been looking, annoying you now, you know, because once I've seen it, that's it. I'll have a peek in If I can see something, I'll, I'll show you. Now, you see, you look in there, you see those doors? We can sneak our head in the door if you want to. Yeah. I just go, well, once I see inside, I'm happy. Well, you've seen it in advance of it being finished. That's the gym. And up there was the centre was the rope. We could only go so far. You wouldn't go up to the very top. You only go up as far as that beam there. That, it, it kept us off the road. It kept us occupied. It got me into... I used to run a lot. No, that, I never walked anywhere. I used to run all over the place. So that's the gym now, Trish. When's the last time you were here? Ah, so I left in 55. As I said to you, it's finished now. Those days there was no such thing as going to secondary school. I had to go straight, straight to work. All my, most of my friends, they all started and left school on 13 or 14. And we all did okay, you know, because we knew what life was like, you know, hard, working hard, and to get to this far was grand, you know. So that's it. So thanks for bringing me. It was lovely, old times. You had me crying now. Come on. A day we're having beginning a change just shows you it takes 30 40 years this is really uh you know the beginning of a new chapter now we have to make this work for the community and for the regeneration of michael's yeah. estate and that's going to be a, another another story you know delighted that it's not just 1916 obviously that is the the key part of it but that other aspects of the history are being remembered as well, you know. But uh, I particularly like this room, you know, because this room is in three sections. You've got the Kell Square, and then you've got, um, you know, Michael's Estate flat as well, you know. So you have all the history in this one little area here. And I particularly like the idea that when you switch on the wireless, you're going to have some of the old barrackers telling their stories. Mm-hmm. 
100 years on. We hold our flame. We hold our flame. Still marching. Still fighting. Still fighting. To be treated the same. To be treated the same. The scaffold tie or the battlefield we die. Oh, no matter when, forever and dear. Structure's still here. The memories are here. You can't get rid of memories, you know. And now look at it. It's full. It's open day. Did you ever think you'd see it like this? Never like this, no. Never. I really was here and wore that short. Well, it couldn't have. We hadn't got shorts then. <laughs> the arse over trousers. But oh, Jesus, look at them all well dressed now. Yes, indeed. This now very beautiful building is full of people celebrating. It is a place of pride. It honours the memories of those who lived and studied there. But most especially, the project echoes the collective strength and power of this community and its resilience. The building is now recognised as part of Ireland's heritage. This is no longer a lost chapter but a national monument to commemorate 1916. But the real story here is the community, the uniting for a common purpose. This was a great day for um, the regeneration of St Michael's Day because what we've done is we've achieved uh, another piece of the jigsaw, which is the cultural side of St Michael's Day, which links into the history of the nation and the city. So we have the next stage to move to, which will be uh, the two acres adjoining. And so their fight continues for social justice. Marching On is a curious broadcast production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland through the television licence fee. Narration by Patricia Baker. Edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Context Studio. Marching Song by Flames Not Flowers.